Hello and welcome to Sitcom Geeks, I'm James Carey and there is no Dave Cohen here, um, he has been presumably taken hostage or something um, and in his place is the wonderful uh, Lucian Young, hello. Hello James, thanks for having me. It's wonderful to have you on the show. Um, we worked together briefly on Bluestone 4.2, did we not? Uh, all too briefly, yeah. <laughs> yes. came, in, came in to do some punch-up work somewhere yes. deep in the... Uh, in the sewers beneath yes. BBC uh, Television Centre, right? Um, I think it was BBC Comedy. P- BBC Comedy, yeah. yeah. There's um, a, there, was a, there was a building that they occupied, which was possibly the least funny building in London. Oh, yeah. It was, yeah. It was like some kind of prison that the yeah. members of the Suicide Squad would be kept in. <laughs> it was a bit well, That's like, what we were, comedically. Yes, exactly. And it, I always think it looks like an outpost of the Home Office <laughs> as a building, and yeah. the BBC no longer use it. But whatever building they're in, they always manage to find the least funny rooms with no windows and put um, comedy yeah. writers in them. Strip lighting. Yeah. And, and of course, comedy writers are the most hygienic. Yeah. <laughs> people and when you bring in uh <laughs> you know some uh food from yeah. uh queue or yeah. whatever yeah it's, yeah it's great yeah absolutely yeah um so uh, so yeah we worked briefly together on that and we had had uh, lots of fun uh, just basically making jokes about scripts which is uh, good fun mm. i do remember a, a joke that we that richard and i have subsequently said to each other quite a lot mm. which is um, the idea that a cat that you would wrench in something relatively obscure, and then the then the character would look to camera and just go Google it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think when you've been a comedy writer for a little while, you like nothing more than kind of insulting the audience, <laughs> challenging them, being willfully obscure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so uh, that's we, what gets us through the day. Absolutely, yes. And then you sort of leave in the stuff that you can bear to uh, show another human being. Um, Cool. Well, um, the the thing that I've suddenly realised we have to talk about most is very is very recently on Twitter you revealed the fact that aged eleven you wrote a spec Fraser script, mm-hmm. and we yes. should probably start there. Yeah, I um, mean that's did very you get much... bullied at school? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, I think I'm I think I'm maybe the only uh, person in comedy who was unpopular at school <laughs> and had trouble uh, attracting yeah. girls yeah. and things like that. Yeah. Um, Yeah, no, I was a very weird kid uh, and I became obsessed with Frasier, which was constantly on a loop on Channel 4. And I think Frasier was the absolute perfect show for a kind of annoying, precocious little boy who wanted to feel superior to his more (laughs) athletic classmates. Uh, Because, you know, every... Every joke in it's like, oh, Niles, yeah. this production of La Traviata is exquisite. Yes, exactly. Whatever. And the thing is, you don't have to have any emotional maturity yeah. or anything like that to kind of look it up and understand yeah. it and yeah. feel that little swell of, oh, yeah. I'm enjoying sophisticated comedy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all the jokes also sound like jokes. Yes, so absolutely. You, you, well, yeah. that's the thing I realised subsequently that's so brilliant about it. Like, you don't actually have to know anything about opera no. or fine wine yeah. or whatever. They're all classic universal jokes. It's always like, oh, Frasier, I was at the opera the other day and I fell over and hurt my bottom. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you'll, you'll have that kick of, oh, I laughed at a joke about opera. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And it's just, it's completely not about opera. Um, Fraser, that reminds me, Fraser's got one of um, my favourite jokes in it. Um, uh, of all time, I think, uh, it's sort of funny on about five levels. Uh, episode, series five, I think, there's a fancy dress party. And oh. it's Gil um, is dressed as, um, as like a native warrior of some sort. And Marty is dressed as Sherlock Holmes. Mm. And um, they have this conversation. And at the end of it, he says, oh, what are you supposed to be? And he says, oh, I'm the last of the Mohicans. And to which Martin replies, well, that's that mystery solved. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I I mean, that... uh, That's a weapons-grade joke. That's incredible and bears out my theory that all the best jokes in Frasier are about being gay. (laughs) Like, I like to imagine most of the writers of Frasier were either gay or Jewish. Yeah. And they're writing this sort of straight, yeah. uh, presumably Protestant, I guess. Yeah. But, you know, whatever family. Yeah. And yet every week they're like confused for a gay person yeah. or confused for a Jewish person or whatever. Yeah, like this. So or trying to get tickets stuff. for the opera. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I would watch it obsessively. Yeah. Uh, I'm a very obsessive person, which I think is another common yeah. sitcom writer yeah. trope. 
and I've always been quite a good mimic, I guess. Yeah. So I very much had like Fraser and Niles and Martin's yeah. voices in my head. Mm. Less so Daphne because it's a very annoying faux Mancunian yes, voice. Yes, exactly. Yes, it's not uh, quite. Uh, Ooh, Doctor Crane. Yeah, Doctor Crane. That's <laughs> right. And then there's also I have a weirdly Scottish brother who is massive. Oh <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they had a brother, and it was uh, Robbie so, Coltrane. Rob, Robbie Coltrane. I was about to say Robbie Carlyle, which maybe no. would have been better. Well, yes, possibly. Especially if he was Begbie. In yes, it. But, uh, Robbie Coltrane. Richard E. Grant. Richard E. Grant. And, and a guy called Anthony LaPaglia. That's right. Who's Italian-American. Yeah. So it was, uh, He's in one of my favourite films of all time, which is Sorry, Mind, an Axe Murderer. Um, oh, but then went on to be in Without a Trace or something like that. But um, but yeah. But he'll always be uh, <laughs> Daphne's unconvincingly Mancunian brother. Yes, to, to sitcom diehard fans, he certainly will be. I mean, it's, it's a great uh, place to start as a sitcom in terms of if you're going to get into one show, then, you know, as we were talking earlier, it just reminded me when we talked to uh, Jason Hazley um, about sitcoms and writing generally, uh, he is also a musician, mm. and he talks about how much jokes are like music. Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah. and that really comes across in Frasier, where, as I say, the stuff that is a joke has the rhythm of a joke. Yeah, they're like these sort of comedic arias. Yeah. I almost think with the very best sitcoms, you could almost do an episode that was just the noises that the character yeah. makes, yeah. like the characters make in like those... Kind of if it was Seinfeld, it'd be like, wah, 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 wah. Yeah. and then, yeah. you know, George coming and going, yeah. Yeah. you yeah. know, it's, it's, yeah. it's those rhythms that just sort yeah. of burrow their way into your brain. Yeah. Uh, and, and the thing is, what I was saying before about Frasier being this kind of pretentious kind of yeah. CUD uh, sitcom, the thing is, I might have enjoyed it for that reason or thought I enjoyed it for that reason back then, but I look back now and it still is basically my favourite sitcom yeah. of all time, partly because I have that connection, but also you realise, no, what made it great wasn't the sort of references to Carl Jung, yeah. whatever. It's the beautifully drawn characters, yeah. like the family dynamic. Like I, I find the sort of relationship between the boys and their blue-collar yeah. father so affecting. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and so that was very much, like I guess, at the back of my mind probably when I was watching it. Yeah. But... Um, but yeah, so why did I write an episode of it? Uh, well, I had too much time on my hands, clearly. <laughs> yeah. wasn't out there playing with the other kids. Yeah. But, you know, I think... I, I remember in a previous episode, I think, of, of this show, mm. the one with Toby Davis, you oh, talked yeah. about... Davis, I mean, sorry. Yeah. The one with Toby Davis, you... <laughs> just edit that bit. Yeah, I will do, yeah, yeah. Um, you talked about how, if you're really obsessed with comedy... Like the only way that you can truly understand it is to try and write it yourself. Yeah. And so I think it was partly that, yeah. trying to understand why I was so uh, preoccupied with this show. And so I sat down at my family computer, hmm. no laptops no. back then, uh, and I wrote uh, an episode featuring Frasier's agent, yeah. Phoebe Glazer. Very good character. Excellent character. And uh, the episode was called To Be Be or Not To Be Be brilliant title that alone um, is worth worth a screen credit or something oh well that's the thing i i wrote it and um i persuaded my parents to i guess help me post it to nbc yeah never heard back no still very bitter <laughs> could have been my big break yes still could be yes <laughs> yes that's right, that's right. NBC, still doing please, the rounds. please call me yeah but, uh, well that's the thing i was helping my mum uh, move flats a while ago okay uh, and I was going through boxes of, of my old things yeah. and, you know, half of them are just school reports saying that you didn't pay enough attention and yeah. it's just making a lot of jokes in class. But in between all of that, I found this old script that was just at the top, it just written like a Word document, not formatted no. at all, but it just said, Frasier. <laughs> uh, and so I was like, oh, hello. And it all came flooding back to me yeah, yeah. Uh, and I read through it. And it really started making me laugh. And it was an interesting kind of laughter because it was a mixture of, you know, oh, these jokes are kind of all right in yeah, a way, yeah. sort of surprisingly all right. But also it is absolutely hilarious that my 11-year-old brain, A, could do this yeah. and B, like, was inclined to. Yeah. It's so strange. I mean, was it about the right length and stuff? I mean, was no, it? no, oh, no. Okay. It's it was like, like 13 pages okay. or something. Okay, yeah. So not a broadcast a broadcast uh, half hour. But 13 pages is, is good, though, isn't it? I mean, that's a lot, especially when you're 11. I'm just trying to think, my kids are 8 and 10. I can't imagine them writing 13 pages. Yeah, well, I mean, again, that's a testament to the sort of obsessive <laughs> yeah. nature 
but yeah, so I was I was reading through it and thinking, you know, I wonder I wonder if anyone else did stuff like this yeah. when they were uh, were a kid. And the thing is, uh, I I go on Twitter a lot, like we all do, to, mm-hmm. to distract ourselves. And I found, especially in the kind of weirder, kind of more hipstery comedy yeah. parts of Twitter, uh, loads of people reference Frasier. Yeah. Like there are loads of Frasier memes yeah. uh, and sort of quite esoteric, in-depth yeah. Frasier references. And so I was thinking, oh, I must not be alone. There must be a lot of people of my generation yeah. for whom Frasier was a sort of formative yeah. show. And so I thought, well, why don't I just tweet a page like just a photograph page yeah. of this ridiculous script I wrote uh, on a daily basis, and I'm currently up to page eight, I think. Okay. <laughs> and uh, the response has been uh, good. I think Frasier. I mean, a lot of people are just going, "What the hell were you?" Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's not, not an unreasonable freak, which question. Which is no, which is absolutely yeah. fair. I mean, also. yeah. I mean, I, I, it reminded me that um, that I wrote a spec script, um, but because I think I forwarded one of your tweets and uh, and commented i wrote a um a spec blackadder script mm. and um but i think i was 17 i think i just started my gap year because i left school at 17 um turning 18 as it were in october and um and yeah i, I suspect i suspect it still exists somewhere the computer it was on is now long long in landfill i'm sure mm. but it was set in 1066 and all i remember about it is that somehow Baldrick um, uh, was responsible for Harold being shot in the eye, <laughs> I think, or so for, for causing Blackadder to shoot Harold in the eye or something like that. Well, you, you've got to find it, James. Yeah. I mean, it, it, Netflix is bringing everything back. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Uh, ill-advisedly in yeah. some <laughs> cases. And uh... Well, I have to say, this was only a couple of years after series four had gone out because oh, wow. so you watch the end where they go over the top yes. and it's the mournful piano music yeah. and you're like no i've got to, <laughs> i've got to get to go back that to was ten- not a decent ending i have to go back and yes, fix it yes that's right yes that's right this this cannot be allowed to stand no so i just thought you have to go back to 1066 because that mm. is the obvious sort of defining moment but um and actually i think it still would be in terms of especially in our sort of brexity times because mm. obviously being taken over by french-speaking people or norman's speaking people there is a sort of a um, a similarity there but anyway that's not me pitching a show um and uh ben elton if you're <laughs> listening to this yes exactly yes. and i don't know why you wouldn't be you <laughs> yeah, could learn a few things absolutely absolutely well it'd be great to get him on the show actually wouldn't it um so at that point do you think your um your path was set because in my case i was writing that script in the year uh probably 1993 um, and this was pre-internet, pre-meaningful mm. internet. And being a writer sort of wasn't really a thing. And you sort of didn't know anyone who was a writer. And you couldn't really get access to it. And writing was something that other people did. But is it the case, because obviously you're probably over a decade younger than me, um, that you were sort of aware of this writing phenomenon um, from quite a young age? I, I suppose so. I mean, I you know, I didn't have any family connections mm. uh, or anything like that. Uh, I don't know, maybe I saw a couple of shows where there were behind-the-scenes mm. uh, type things. But I, I remember I bought two different books of Frasier scripts. Right. One was called The Best of Frasier, mm. and the other one was called The Very Best of Frasier. And so you're like, oh, that's, that's really... Uh, restrained of them yeah. to, to save the very best for the second book. Absolutely, they yes. But, yeah, uh, no, 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 these are really are the best. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this but, and and yeah. I actually, I remember my mum borrowed uh, The Best of Frasier from a friend of hers and gave it to me to read. And it was absolutely trashed like a fortnight later. I just read it so many times. Yeah. It was all dog-eared yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and torn. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I would memorise those. Mm. And I think they had an introduction uh, at the start, mm. that was the, the writers talking about okay. their process and having a room and things like that. Yeah. But I, the I, equivalent of a DVD. Yeah, it was a DVD um, extra yeah. in uh, papyrus form. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I didn't know really. I, I, I don't think I was even thinking about it as a career. Mm. I was just thinking, I want to write an episode yeah. of this show I love. But then again, I sent it to NBC. So yeah. there must have been part of yeah. me that... 
there was making some long-term yeah. plans yeah. that you know still haven't come true yeah well, still... <laughs> none of us feel like i mean we spoke to it when we interviewed pete sinclair who's mm. you know co-wrote lead balloon and has been writing bad move and works with jack d and has been a comedy writer for 20 30 mm. years well probably 30 30 years plus you know we said do you feel like you've made it it's just like no feel that any day now I'm just going to get a tap on the shoulder and I'm going to be shepherded back into the factory where I meant to but from which I've obviously escaped well there's a I think there's kind of an existential point in there which uh, which is we're all these um obsessive little creeps mm. uh and we basically see something that makes our heads explode yeah and we go, that is the coolest thing mm. that's ever happened. Yeah. I have to be involved in that. And for me, it was Frasier. It was a very boring thing to say, mm. but The Simpsons, which yeah. is basically the Beatles of comedy. Yeah. So you don't get any points for saying you love well, The yes. Simpsons. Well, yes. No, but it was a very um, important show, especially series three to ten. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, you talking about favorite jokes, uh, there was one specific Simpsons joke I remember that I think just broke my brain irreparably. <laughs> As a as a as a kid, and set me off down yeah. this uh, path. Which which was it's in the episode Homie the Clown. Oh uh, yes, where Homer trains to be a, a kind of replacement Krusty. I, I know that episode well. Yes, it's you've held classic. me back long enough. It's not that one, is it? Oh yeah, I'm going to clown, clown college. And Bart well, says, <laughs> "Well, I don't think any of us expected him to say that." Yeah, uh, yeah, it's incredible. But they, <laughs> there's this one like transcendently beautiful joke mm. where the Springfield Mafia, you know, Fat Tony mm. and all, all of them uh, have tried to kidnap Krusty, but instead they've kidnapped Homer. Yeah. And so they've got him tied to a chair and then Cr Krusty bursts into yeah. the room. And so these two people who look exactly like Krusty the Clown yeah. are standing side by side. Uh, and one of the gangsters rubs his eyes and goes, Whoa, I'm seeing double here. Four crusties. <laughs> and I I don't think I even laughed when I saw that. Right. I just just sat there and just went, that's the best thing I've <laughs> ever heard. And what a weirdly specific joke to go with. Cause yeah, I don't know. Because that also that's got one of my other favorite lines is when his when the, the father when the grandfather says you've made a sad Italian stereotype very happy. <laughs> oh, you're not a you're not a stereotype. I am. I am. Yeah. I know it. That's got so many uh, great Italian jokes. I love yeah. uh, to kill such a funny man would be a crime. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, uh, he, he ends up he he has to throw the bike in the air and swallow it at one point as well, yeah, doesn't he? The tiny that's, bicycle. Yeah, so beautiful. But um, yeah, yeah, and also so that it was shows like that, and a, a bit later on the hour and the day to day. Yeah. I think mm. that which were all I think I was coming too late mm. in every case. But yeah, they just fascinated me like how do you create this almost mm. nuclear reaction by just putting these daft bits of language together yeah. and using the rhythm and stuff so you know I, I wrote this Frasier script I wrote and recorded my own episode of on the hour yeah and like made my parents be correspondents yeah in it, like a bit later than that uh and they were yeah, so they were probably f more thrilled to be involved in that than you would then I'm now looking back on what what I might have inflicted on my parents mm. and now thinking if one of my kids wanted me to be in a radio drama that they'd made, I'd mm. be absolutely thrilled. Although but, secretly hoping they don't become a comedy writer like me. Yeah, but the thing is, you're a comedy writer, so you'd have a higher tolerance for that. No, that's true. Uh, I mean, my parents have often told me I, I, I was insane. Like, I would just be reciting Simpsons scripts. Okay. You know, okay. as we were walking along a beach yeah. in France on holiday yeah. or whatever. But I, this is all a very uh, roundabout way of saying I think the reason why comedy writers never feel like they've made it is because they never got to work on that show yeah. that they loved oh, originally. That's a very good point. Uh, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, I think that's part of why when I uncovered this Frasier script yeah. and realised that the internet was uh, crazy for Dr. Crane, yeah. I was like, I'm going to put this out because it actually has a weirdly emotional resonance Yeah. For me. Like, there's a joke in Frasier that I feel sums up my entire childhood and subsequent life, yeah. which is in the episode uh, Seat of Power, where Frasier and Niles are hosting the wine club at their um, uh, at Frasier's apartment, and they damage the toilet, I think, right. so they have to call a plumber in. And when they do, Niles realises that the plumber is his high school bully. 
Oh yes, played by um, Doctor Cox from oh, yeah, Scrubs. Yeah, 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 yeah. that guy. Mm. And um, there's a line in it where Niles is saying to his bully, his former bully, you know, how could you abuse someone like that? Uh, you know, you made my life a misery. And the bully says, well, Doctor Crane, in my defence, you were <laughs> you were coming into school in a tweed jacket with a valise, so I think the blame here is fifty fifty. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I certainly throughout school I was like oh I'm getting bullied and made fun yeah, of yeah. and uh, you know I just don't fit in just because I don't play football or whatever yeah. uh, and now I look back and I'm like I was an obnoxious <laughs> annoying yeah. little kid I mean to be fair my parents called me Lucian and sent me to a comprehensive in the northeast so <laughs> I think we can allocate the blame <laughs> yes that's right yeah. uh, slightly differently there but yeah, yeah it was yeah you, you sort of you come up with this narrative yeah. that you were just this blameless victim and then you realise, well, I was sort of going around school giving it all that, yeah. paying attention to myself. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Not that bullying's all right, bullying's bad. <laughs> but. <laughs> but no, yeah, one one does look back and think, um, yeah, perhaps I brought some of that onto myself. Mm. Um, and but, hey, yeah. that's, that what, yeah. that's what drives you yeah. towards a life in uh, comedy. Yeah, so. well, there you go. And so, and let's talk about that. So you, you have worked basically in comedy since uh, presumably you sort of left university. I don't think you, you didn't go off to get a job at Linklaters or Coopers and Lybrand or whatever they're called now. Oh, no, I, I turned them all down. Yeah. They were desperate to have a oh, really? have an arts graduate. Okay. Who, uh, no, 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 I didn't at all. Well, everyone, um, everyone from my university applied to work for um, Ernst & Young, as it was then called. It's probably called something else now. I think I once got a free dinner courtesy of... I can't remember. They make like soap and stuff. Okay, yeah. Uh, but really Procter big. and Gamble. Or yeah, that like one. That. Yeah. Procter and Gamble, yeah. uh, which was, you know, they were barking up the wrong tree. Yeah. Uh, I just wanted the, the food. Yeah. But yeah, I, so again, with the obsessive thing, yeah. uh, another big influence on me growing up was Stephen Fry. Okay. I think because I saw him on, you know, QI and yeah. thought, well, this guy's using long words and okay. making jokes and people like him for it rather than beating him up and so if I just do everything that uh he did yeah then maybe I'll get to that position you know so I was a kid in uh Morpeth in the northeast and again not that long after I wrote the freshest script I remember saying to my mum uh I'm going to uh read English at Cambridge yeah and join the Cambridge Footlights and be like Stephen Fry yeah and my mum sensibly was like oh it's a good ambition to have, but you know, yeah. a few steps. Yeah, uh, between it's now not exactly and going off to join the circus, is it? So no, yes, no. Uh, but the why do you want to go to Cambridge, son? <laughs> no, son of mine. <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, yeah. And so, but the thing is, I I did do those things mm. um, partly because of my kind of obsessive memory skills yeah. made me quite good at doing exams. Yeah, which is uh, which is actually Stephen Fry like because he's he's of, he's often quick to say people say he's intelligent and he says I have an exceptional memory mm. and actually he doesn't consider himself to be particularly intelligent which I think is probably you know he's not mm. he's not stupid no not but at he has all, a but very I good think... recollection of of knowledge which is a different thing isn't it yeah definitely I mean I, I got an, you know very high mark in my like French mm. GCSEs or whatever I can barely speak a word of it yeah now I, I, I was just able to cram really yeah, well yeah. And, and, and learn a bunch of phrases yeah uh, and I think it's very true. In fact, I think that's a lot of why our country's in the state it is now, because the, the Oxbridge system uh, privileges people who are able to uh, master a brief really quickly yeah. and then just blag, you yeah. know, talk knowledgeably about stuff they don't really care about. And yeah. so you end up with people going, uh, oh, OK, now I'm the minister for defence <laughs> and I know all about the army based yeah. on you know like boris johnson yeah, really yeah. should have been in footlights the the world would be a better place <laughs> yes. uh, or I pursuing think. a career in actual comedy rather yeah than rather than this uh, version this, of performing. the coward's route into it which well, is hosting have a yes. view but now sort of, as a politician. yes and now he sort of has a political career that sort of resembles performance art in some way but uh, yeah exactly we well. don't it's like <laughs> trump you don't want entertainment people going into politics no it's, true or vice versa. Really. No, but, well, that's also true. Yes. Uh, I yeah. So it's yeah. I wouldn't. I wouldn't call yeah. myself a, a particularly intelligent person. I've just got this. Okay. This this sort of intense focus about things I yeah. care about. Yeah. And that was enough to to get me to Cambridge. Yeah. Uh, which was very fortunate, and uh, I was very one track minded. Yeah. About 
you know, doing the smokers, yeah. as they're called, uh, these hour-long uh, nights of new comedy. Mm. And yeah, I basically, I wasn't a very good performer, right. but I would write a lot, and so mm. I just kept throwing myself at it right. until I became... Was the expectation that you would perform your own material, or did you sort of team up and start writing for other people? Or uh, Yeah, I, th- I think there's a basic understanding that you would uh, perform your own material right. just to sh- so that people knew it was yours. Yes, and yeah. I guess when you're starting out, you don't really have your co-writers, yeah. and those relationships build up. And I think some people think with Footlights, which is in many ways a kind of ludicrous and anachronistic institution. Mm. I think a lot of people think that, you know, Hugh Laurie will come back and have dinner with you or you'll have a hotline to John Cleese. And it's absolutely not like that. It is just a student comedy group, but because of its name... You get good audiences yeah. and you get a good slot in, in and Edinburgh, you get the, the which main... is huge, by the yeah. way. That's a huge privilege, yeah. and I was very aware of it. Yeah. But actually, the thing you get more than anything else, which um, I'm always quite keen to resist people knocking Oxbridge, but even though Cambridge rejected me twice, oh, and I wanted to, bastards. and I wanted to go to Cambridge because of the footlights. Yeah, um, and I, I, I think most of the people I was in footlights yeah. with kind of yeah. at the back of their minds that was, and I and I would have um, probably been there. With uh, with Mitchell or Webb or someone like that, and Bartman and Evans and, and those kinds of guys, they're sort of my uh, my generation roughly. Mm. Um, but actually, the thing that I then was able to manufacture slightly at Durham University, where I ended up going, was I did three years worth of comedy, and I did two or three shows a year of writing and performing. I didn't perform so much. I ended up becoming president of the of the review, mm. and again. Going to Durham University does not open doors for you comedically, mm. um, but what it does do is it gives you a sort of a six or seven year head start on performing comedy in front of strangers. Yeah, um, and that for me that's the advantage of it. And it, in one sense, the fact that it's Cambridge is neither here nor there. If the University of De Montfort or whoever had a heritage of doing this, and there are now other comedy groups, mm. um, and I just saw on Twitter the or for Facebook that the Durham Review just did a combined show with the University of Leeds uh, Review and St Andrews, I, I think. All oh, right. Um, so it is a thing. Oh, yeah. It's practice, And, though, and it? some of the absolute funniest people in my generation, like mm. genuine like geniuses, came out of those yeah. clubs at, at other universities, yeah. like the, the Bristol Reunions, right. where I was in the Footlights Tour show, had Jamie Dimitriou, mm. uh, Charlotte Ritchie. Okay. Like, it was really... Yeah. But all sorts of brilliant people. When I was in, so we did combined shows with Bristol uh, University, and um, uh, that was basically Marcus Brigstock, mm. uh, Danny Robbins, and Dan Tetzel. Oh, great. Three professional comedians now. Um, and it's, it's, it's really nice, actually. But again, you know, that's sort of outside the Oxbridge system. So, I mean, in one sense, admittedly, it's all in a graduate system, but now 50% of school leavers are going to university. So you might sure, as well get, well, get some well, value for absolutely. money. Absolutely. Well, for me, I think Footlights was, it was mainly just a, a word. It was like a, a, a bat signal, yeah. you know, for <laughs> weird comedy nerds. Yeah. And we all gravitated towards it. And the really valuable thing, apart from, as you say, mm. getting to go up on a stage and be rubbish in front of mm. a quite sympathetic audience, yeah. uh, which is invaluable. Yeah. Um, th- the other thing was just meeting the people that I have worked with yeah. since uh, in some cases yeah. and, yeah, learning how to collaborate and team write. Yeah. Uh, so after graduating, mm. I eventually moved to London after mm. I saved up enough money and I did the Edinburgh Festival a couple of times. Right. Uh, I did these kind of narrative action comedy okay. stage shows yeah. called Armageddon Apocalypse. Okay. The Explosioning. Okay. Uh, and Armageddon Apocalypse Threat Level Dead. Right. Uh, and I didn't stumble over it when I was uh, flowering okay. on the mile. Sure. Because uh, no, you... you'd never get them in no. after that. Uh, and during that time, I was kind of learning how to write properly. Right. Which I'd say the, the difference between that and writing before then mm. is... Uh, I had to just sort of learn how to sit down and work basically office hours. Yeah. Uh, and, and and just write even if I felt, you know, glum or, yeah. or, or tired or whatever yeah. and just treat it as a job. Yeah. And I was tutoring to, uh, to pay the bills okay. at the same time. Yeah. And uh, then I was very lucky um, in that 
a friend and someone I'd worked with called Keith Okushi, mm. got a show on BBC Three called Siblings, mm. uh, and he decided he wanted to assemble a, a writer's room uh, for it. So he brought in me, yeah. uh, Darren Johnson, who, who's also in the sketch yeah. group Sheeps, okay. and Joe Parham, who, who I still write with quite a lot mm. today. Uh, and, and we were so lucky because we were, you know, we we're all in our early to mid 20s yeah. uh, and we had a chance to to collaborate really heavily on making yeah. two series of a show we really, uh, really enjoyed. Yeah. Um, yeah, that must have felt really, really special. I, I mean, did you feel that you were sort of left alone just to sort of get on with it or...? Um, I think we were working with a company called Buark, uh, who, who yeah. did the Inbetweeners, uh, and now they're called Fudge Park. Wow, uh, that's not an improvement, I don't think, as a name. Uh, well, I, I couldn't comment. <laughs> uh, they, they've been very good to me. Yeah, absolutely, yes, that's right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. but I will call them Sir, sure. if they so ask me to. Ian Damon, if you're listening, <laughs> I, I didn't say anything, it was all James. But uh, yeah, it, it was a great experience it was really thrilling you know as you'll know you spend so much mm. time on like development yeah. and writing scripts that uh no humans will ever read just yeah. commissioners and yeah. producers uh and to just to be writing something and to yeah. know there is a time limit here yeah. and something will get made yeah. that people people will see yeah uh, the general public that was really exciting yeah. and it felt like we were learning on the job uh, and our producer Phil Gilbert was was really great and supportive mm. and offering advice, but also yeah. <laughs> letting us go off on yeah. weird tangents. And we took it to some dark places. Yeah, like we were all watching quite a lot of it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Okay, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, that gets quite dark quite quick. Yeah, 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 and so we were taking it to to strange areas. And yeah. obviously Charlotte and Tom yeah. Sturt and yeah. the stars of it are just so good. You, you you knew that whatever you threw their way, they'd make it yeah. brilliant. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so it was it was kind of a, a dream come true. And plus, they paid for lunch every day. That goes so, a long way, doesn't it? That and sometimes we'd order like huge kebabs, yeah. and, like meals from this Turkish place, and the afternoon would be a writer. <laughs> uh, you just could, we'd a lot just be of belching. Yeah, yeah, it's just right. Like meat super sweats. Super heavy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's and that's one of the upsides of going for an indie. Um, yeah. An independent production company will actually potentially buy your lunch. The BBC will so not good. will not buy your lunch. They may subsidise your lunch yeah. in a canteen, but they will not buy your lunch. Mm. But um, they they do give you a car and stuff like that, and and pay you you know a million per day. So oh if, yeah. If the Daily Mail's listening, <laughs> uh, please don't write an article. <laughs> yes, that's right. Yeah. So um. So yeah, that's a real buzz, and it, it is worth pointing out. I mean. It feels like one of those things that's a luxury to, to complain about. Yeah. But when you're in the throes of a show that's actually being on, it, it is quite you, you can be quite quick to wish it away as well. And I was having to reassure a writer um, uh, very recently who was struggling with um, with a show um, and the you know deadlines and all that kind of stuff. I, I did sort of say, bear in mind the privilege and luxury of writing scripts are actually going to get made and be shown to the public. Yeah. It's very easy to sort of go, oh, I wish I could just sort of do something else or stop doing the show. It's like, whoa. <laughs> you know, that's why we, yeah. want, we wanted to do a full series of Bluestone sure. because although it was hard work, we just thought we've actually got a formula here that some people at least seem to like and wouldn't it be great to do more of it? And in the end, BBC Three didn't want to because we didn't we didn't quite hit the right numbers or the right demographics and stuff. But um, you know, we'd had a we'd had a fair of crack at it. Yeah. But we were aware that it might take us another five, ten, fifteen years to get another show on television. Yeah, we, we wanted a third uh, series for siblings, mm. but uh, I think we slightly uh, <laughs> scuppered ourselves by writing an incredibly bizarre and messed up final episode of right. series two, which was kind of a mixture of like fest and right and like a tarantino film. okay uh yeah those hard were, to come those, back those from that good, yeah. good days and well, um, it was around about the time that bbc3 was having a bit of a crisis oh yeah, we, of we, going off to online instead of we, we absolutely fell between the two stools mm. of like the the, the pre-digital era yeah. and the post-digital yeah. era yeah uh but you know it's, it's a show we're all really uh proud of yeah and yeah, as, as you say, I think if I had one bit of advice mm. for aspiring writers, it's, you know, you should know that 90% of being a writer isn't like 
proper writing. Yeah. It's like trying to get to the point where you can do the proper writing. Absolutely. And then you can, as I was doing before we started recording, just yeah. complaining about your <laughs> deadlines yeah. and just talk about yes. how sleep deprived you are. Yes. There's only there's only a handful of writers in the UK for whom the majority of the stuff they write is actually being made. Mm. I mean, you're talking sort of Sally Abbott and Stephen Moffat and, you know, uh, or Sally Wainwright um, and all those sorts of people. Am I, am I, is that Sally Wainwright? Uh, Jed Mercurio and, sure, yeah. yeah, and and Ben Elton, presumably, and that kind mm. of stuff. Um, so it's it's a quite a short list. And so, therefore, you have to really want to do it and love, to, and actually, going back to how you almost sort of started, it, you have to love comedy, Mm. To, to get you through that because otherwise it's just it's flipping hard work isn't oh yeah it's it not a get rich quick scheme no i mean it might be a get rich scheme at some point yeah but uh, not so far no <laughs> waiting for that to kick in and, but in and, a way you yeah. sort of you get to do stuff that other people would actually probably pay money to do oh yeah, yeah. like uh, I'm, I'm very conscious when i talk to my friends mm. who you know are getting paid a lot more mm. than i am uh they're just like oh it must be so great to just be able to come up with stupid jokes all day yeah i like i'll just be like you know well less of the stupid please <laughs> and but then i'll catch myself and go yeah it is actually yeah it's it's brilliant and for all the many procedural frustrations yeah. and you know also just writing yeah it's very difficult i remember I, I read an interview with um uh joss whedon hmm. where he was saying uh man i love writing like it's my favorite thing to yeah. do i just sit down and i just go into a trance and it's yeah. just blissful and i was like you monster what are you talking about <laughs> well that's it's, it yeah <laughs> like there are two types of writer though i think uh, i don't know which is the bigger camp i think i probably could probably guess because we asked john finnamore this question you know do you when we had our live episode do you are you the sort of writer who likes writing or who likes having written right yeah, yeah and i think a lot of writers will probably say the latter that they like the idea of having written oh yeah 100 percent. yeah uh the latter but i think that's that applies to loads of things yeah. in life i mean i look back almost every period of my life and i think oh that was all right really yeah. with a few exceptions <laughs> and uh but at the time i'm just sort of riven with all this you know self-doubt yeah and just like am i doing the right thing yeah. and is, is is this a terrible scenario I'm in? Uh, but yeah, but then you look mm. back and you're like, oh, well, I, I made some stuff yeah. and I made some friends. And, yeah. yeah. But uh, so the other string to your bow then um, is, as it were, also just writing for the sheer hell of it because in order to write books, you also have to enjoy writing above making money. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, at what point did you start to be start to write write books as well and, and obviously Shakespearean sonnets which are being turned into a you know into books and that kind of thing. Oh sure. Well I you know, so I'd worked on siblings and then a few other sort of BBC three mm. shows and I, I did a bit of work on Murder and Successville mm. and I, I made a, a a feed, a BBC three comedy feed. Uh, shout out to the Limbo gang. <laughs> uh, uh, and you know so the sort of TV stuff was going yeah. along, but as you know, it's most of it's just hurling pages into the abyss yeah. and hoping that something comes back. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and sometimes you're paid and sometimes you're not. And, yeah, yeah. yeah and and uh, you're very rarely paid yeah. in, in a timely fashion. Yeah. Uh, and yes, yeah, so I was looking for something else mm. to do alongside it, ideally creative. Mm. Uh, and uh, I, I was contacted by an editor at Ebury Press, mm -hmm. which is an imprint of Penguin Random House. Uh, and they had this idea that they wanted to do a, a sort of humour book like uh, Jason and Joel's okay. Lady Bird oh, uh, yes. series. Yeah. Uh, they wanted to do humour books, uh, a humour book based on uh, the, the sort of Brexit, mm. which was <laughs> then as now a big deal. Yeah, uh, But told in the style of Lewis Carroll. So okay. kind of uh, an Alice in Wonderland okay. parody that would be about Brexit called Alice in Brexit Land. Yeah. And they were looking for a comedy writer okay. to do that. Uh, and it was, you know, they were quite near the deadline. And so I was parachuted in okay. and kind of had to, at speed, write this book. Great. Uh, how, well, how, how come they... I mean, obviously you've got, you know, you have a track record and you have an agent, hmm. but do you, know, do you have any idea how they ended up Pulling, uh, pulling well, your name. Actually, I'm I'm going to have to go with the personal connection okay. thing again. Yeah. yeah. Because uh, my editor had 
asked Joe Parham, who, okay. who, who's a friend and yeah. co-writer, uh, if he'd be up for doing yeah. it. And he said, it's not quite my sort of thing. Okay. You should talk to Lucian. Okay. Um, well, I don't think you need yeah. to be... Um, I don't think you need to be coy about that because I think one of the things that I'm always trying to sort of uh, remind people of is the fact that, um, that you know, you're making friends in the comedy world, however you make them, and that these are friends that will be that that will be alongside you for a very long time mm. to come and so you know in the case of say um you know dan tetzel or danny robbins or something um from the club seals from 20 years ago for mm. bristol university review you know i might get someone say can i do this or do that and i might say oh i'll tell you what you know we want dan for this or you want danny for this or or whatever it is um definitely and it's not it's not really a networking thing, so I always think no, that that word's kind of creepy. Yeah, it, it's more just it's good yeah. to hang out with the people that interest you yeah. and uh, and that you sort of vibe with. Yeah, and it's good to try writing in lots of different combinations. Yeah. And you know, I, it, with me and Joe, it's mm. just we we'd worked on siblings together yeah. and we'd enjoyed bouncing ideas off each other then, yeah. and so we thought we'd try and. Uh, yeah. And I think also the the other thing I've been learning as we've been speaking to, I mean, even people like Barry Cryer, um, is that um, that actually what binds lots of comedy writers together is the fact that we all love comedy. Mm. And so actually, if you're offered a job that you just know you can't do uh, for for whatever reason, you still want it to be a good work. You still want oh, it to yeah, be a good yeah. book. Um, you know, I want comedies that I don't write to be funny because I like laughing. Oh, yeah, and I want people that I know to be... I don't know how unusual I am in this. I'm not quite with the Gore Vidal. It's not enough that I succeed, others must fail, <laughs> which sure. is, you know, which has a lot of resonance. But I think, you know, just being aware that it's a relatively small world, but, you know, but we all know each other. And and to be part of that, one of the reasons to do the Edinburgh Fringe and to do a show mm. is so that you get to meet other people in a similar age and stage or situation and stuff. Well, so, yeah, yeah. and that's how these things come about. Well, I don't want to turn your podcast into a WTF with Mark <laughs> Maron, but like I, I love comedy. And I mm. think the reason I, I love it is, you know, at a slightly difficult formative time, mm. it really helped like things like Frasier yeah. or The Simpsons, like that really made me excited about kind of life and yeah. kind of made me ambitious and led to me meeting these people mm. who were also nerdy in that yeah. way who you can have these great conversations with yeah. and i think uh it's you know it I, I never really want to be too careerist about it or, or talk about uh comedy like this yeah. you know a series of stepping stones mm. to, to being super successful like all the good things that have happened to me are largely because I have just shared a genuine mm. kind of connection yeah. with people and yeah. got excited about either shows we loved mm. or a show we were trying to make yeah. for other people to love. And yeah, I think that's fundamentally what drives you. It's mm. wanting to be that for some kid yeah. out there somewhere who's, yeah, yeah. who's looking for something to make them laugh. Yeah, yeah. Is that too sentimental? No, that's no. I think it's. I, I think we. Uh, the comedy industry and the the sort of the sorts of stuff that we do we sort of i think we're we are aware that lots of listeners sort of want a career in comedy mm. but actually to get a career in comedy you actually need to love comedy and oh, the sure. career won't look like what you think it is and the moment you're sort of offered things that you might you know that, that you might have always aspired to you actually realize quite quickly they're not yeah. all they're cracked up to and, be and you've got to be willing to adapt because mm. as i said like i'm never going to write on the simpsons yeah. or frasier and i'm never going to be stephen fry because yeah. like fry and laurie was of its type yeah. an amazing show yeah yeah but you know there there isn't that much sketch on tv no. and you know uh it, it, so you've got to step back i think yeah. and go what do i love about this and yeah. uh, and i love the craft of writing and yeah. so i found that that was applicable to writing this humor book yeah. uh alice in brexit land yeah. uh which was a really good idea mm. uh on on anna my editor's part because so many characters from uh, british political life yeah. map onto the lewis carroll characters very good so it had like you know nigel farage as the cheshire twat okay and trumpty dumpty <laughs> okay and, and um uh, Theresa May is the Queen of Hearts okay. and so I wrote that and I worked with a brilliant illustrator called Ollie Mann okay. uh, who did uh, sort of pastiches of all the Tennille oh, drawings okay. uh, and that came out and 
uh, quite a few people seemed to like it. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I pitched another idea uh, in the uh, topical comedy literary pastiche mm. vein, which was called Trump's Christmas Carol, right? which I wrote to, to, uh, to come out last Christmas. Mm -hmm. And I'm currently working on a third one for Ebre, but I don't know if I'm allowed to say okay, the subject. Well, we've got enough um, uh, things there to plug uh, as well, uh, and also you've been writing an Unbound book as well. Oh yeah, I've, which is your which is your Shakespearean sonnets. I mean, how how did that come about? Okay, well, we've established I'm a nerd, right? <laughs> uh, my other big geeky obsession is is literature mm -hmm. and particularly poetry, and I love. Uh, formal poetry you know metrical poetry mm. I, i'm really obsessed with uh how effects can be achieved with with rhyme and, mm. and rhythm and these uh constraints that are in a weird way like liberating mm. i'm not selling this as a comedy thing but anyway so <laughs> i had these two quite seemingly disparate interests yeah. of comedy uh, and sonnetry mm. and I used to again another nerdy kid thing I do is write sonnets as mm. a kind of crossword puzzle yeah uh, the way they all fit together uh so yeah I was at a slight loose end uh last year and then I thought wouldn't it be funny if I wrote a Shakespearean sonnet about Kim Kardashian uh, and I did write it yeah and it was funny yeah. I think uh and then before I knew it I'd written 154 more yeah. sonnets on daft anachronistic themes. Yeah. So I've got ones on, you know, Kim Kardashian, Snoop Dogg, yeah. Tinder, Pikachu, yeah. Ghostbusters. Okay. Um, it's, it, yeah, it, it's all very mad. Yeah. Uh, and I decided that I was going to try and crowdfund the book yeah. via this brilliant site called uh, Unbound, yeah. where people uh, are present. It's sort of a bit like Kickstarter. Yeah, for books, yeah. For books, but kind of selective and yeah. they, they they put up all their projects yes people... it's, it's it's curated rather than you can't not anyone can just do this yes. they have to want to publish it don't they? yes and they're very helpful they they'll come up with cover art for you yeah, yeah. and help you set up all these reward levels yeah. that people can pledge on so uh, if anyone listening yeah. hasn't been completely alienated by me uh, <laughs> by this point uh, please uh, yeah. check out hashtag sonnets right. on unbound.com right. it's a real uh, passion project yeah. and uh, i I, I think it's uh, it, it's the thing I'm most proud of, I'd say, because yeah. it's the most personal, yeah. like, weird thing. And I think you've got to give yourself that. You've got to you definitely give yourself do. permission to yeah. be weird. Yeah, and you just don't know what's going to come of it as well. I think that's the other thing is you... I think we... Again, one thing that uh, writers do, that both experienced and inexperienced ones, is... And I'm about to go to a writing conference tomorrow... Uh, and talk to comedy commissioners and controllers and lots of people in the room will basically be going, what ideas do you want because I, mm. I can write those ideas sure. and actually annoyingly what they want is the ideas that the writers most want to do mm. that they are able to then broadcast you know it's so you know at the moment it's you have lots and lots of ideas but some ideas have their time and some don't but ultimately it's such hard work getting any book off the ground or any project off the ground that if you're not enjoying it for its own sake, it's just oh, yeah. going to be too hard, isn't it? Uh, what I would say is if if you had any idea how much I hate crowdfunding, yeah. you'd realise how proud I am of these sonnets because <laughs> it's killing me. So yeah. uh, please pledge everyone. Yes, that's right. It's, yeah, it's, it's, not, uh, yeah. yeah, it's tough. You have to basically email everyone you've ever met. Yeah. Uh, I emailed you. Yes, which, indeed. Uh, yes, which has also partly led to this because um, it reminded me, oh, well, we should talk to Lucian. He'll be fantastic on the podcast. Oh, well, thank you. And here we are. Um, so just wrapping up then, what um, what is the kind of advice you would you would be giving to the you know uh 10 years ago version of yourself or the, mm. the, the or the version of you that's now kind of starting out or okay lucian i need you to listen very carefully <laughs> i want you to put all of your money i know it's not a lot but put all of it on jeremy corbyn becoming leader of the labor party <laughs> in 2050 <laughs> uh i don't know what advice i'd yeah. say you know just your expectations uh like it's gonna be tough yeah. like there's there's no way around that kind of accept who you are like don't don't try and do things mm. because you think it'll get a commission yeah. or you think it'll be popular because people can smell 
uh, falseness yeah. in what you write. You you just but the older I've got, actually, the weird weirdly I've I've become closer to to the eleven year old me who wrote that Fraser script. I think so. I've been able to go. Okay, I've I've learned to accept myself a bit more. Yeah, I am this weird nerd. <laughs> uh, hopefully, I can be less annoying than yeah. I was as a kid. But I'm going to put out this Fraser script, or I'm going to write 155 sonnets. Yeah. Uh, and you know, if so, I'd say to myself, don't try to be all cool. I guess yeah. maybe don't try and be super cynical. Yeah. Just sort of write what you think's good. Yeah, and. <laughs> I think the chances of it going will be marginally yeah. uh, improved. Yeah, I think it's because it's easy to sort of tell yourself not to be cynical and, and to do that. And then to say, but then to look at what's on TV or the radio and just think, and just think, oh, blimey, that is a cynical show where they've got mm. so and so to do this with that person or they've had this idea or that idea. And actually, mm. it may sound cynical to you, but that may well not be how it was yeah, put it was, together. It was probably someone's baby at some yeah. time. And yeah. I'd actually, I'd say that to my uh, decade ago self, mm. who would, yeah, I'd watch TV and I'd just be like, oh, this is terrible. This mm. is so, I can't believe they were given an opportunity to be on TV and yeah. this is what they did. Yeah. And of course, now I realise that making a TV show is like piloting a, an oil super tanker or something yeah. like there are so many ways it can go wrong yeah. that are not your fault and, it's, Im- and it's impossible to slow it down or yeah, stop yeah and yeah so i just say be nice to writers basically yeah they're, they're working really yeah. hard not hard like someone with a real job like no. working in a shop or yes, something yes. but you or know. milking a hundred cows like my father used to do yeah exactly yeah um yeah I, I wish i was milking cows right now but <laughs> it's yeah i i've i've certainly learned the hard way that yeah. it is a miracle when TV's good and yeah. funny. Yeah. And that is something to be applauded. Yeah. And the attempt is something to be applauded. Absolutely. Absolutely. And who knows that, you know, you might write something that will uh, trigger uh, an 11 year old to, to write a weird spec script. <laughs> um, and But yeah, it, there is that moment. I mean, occasionally I'd go into schools or something. Um, I'll go back to my old school or whatever and give a talk about writing comedy. And you know that 85% of people are not terribly interested. And from, from my point of view, they would they are sort of impressed that I know Miranda Hart a little bit. Mm. Um, but actually, I know that there is there are about three people there in the room for whom me being there is actually quite a big deal. And one of whom might actually go on to be a, be a comedy writer. And just seeing an older version of yourself really who's kind of into the same things that you're into I think is quite a big quite a big thing and again it comes down to passion about comedy doesn't it it's just loving having a joke that blows your mind Mm. like the ones that you were mentioning earlier well I think it's good to be passionate about anything really Mm. unless it's like you know torturing small animals or or something if if that's you probably knock that on the head but (laughs) Well, um, they might be pests, you know. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, true. Yeah. So, do you think that's how exterminators context. start out? Yeah. <laughs> context. Context is everything. Absolutely. Yeah. But you know, I wouldn't. I wouldn't trade in my word obsessions. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's great. Thanks so much for being on the podcast. Um, we will put links to uh, Lucian's work uh, in the show notes uh, to have a look. But if people, go- what should they Google uh, if they if they start start googling stuff about you now? <laughs> Google it. Google it. Uh, Google it. <laughs> they should, yes, they should Google hashtag sonnets. That's hashtag the sonnet. symbol hashtag, yeah. not the word. Yeah. They should Google Lucian Young, which is L U C I E N. Yeah. And Young, like the opposite of old. Yeah. Uh, and that's a good and look on yeah. Amazon for uh, your Alice in Brexit Excellent, Land yeah. and Trump's Christmas Carol brilliant cool thanks so much uh, for being on the show well, thank you so much for having me and thanks very much for listening and we'll speak to you next time cheerio cheerio